Welcome to the Middle Class to Millionaires podcast, a no-nonsense show designed to help you punch fear in the face and create the life you've always dreamed of. Now, here are your hosts, Vince and Christian. Hey everyone, welcome back to Middle Class to Millionaires. We are at it again and actually being consistent. I'm Very Vince, nice. your host. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. With my co-host, Christian. Sir, how are you today over there in uh, Texas? Yeah, it's a great day to be alive. 45 degrees outside and it's sunny. Wow. It is 50 here in East Tennessee and I'm freezing my booty off. But it's a good day. Can't complain. And it wouldn't change anything if I did. True. <laughs> Do you know the story behind that? I think this is this is a good story to just kind of interject with. Do you know the story behind that one? No, why don't you go ahead and uh, share it for us there, Vince? Yeah, let me share. So I, when I first got into real estate investing, I was running a wholesale company uh, for these two brothers who own the brokerage where I actually hang my license still. I went with Todd to a house to meet a seller. And we walk in. She asked how we're doing. I said, I'm good. How are you? And Todd says, I can't complain. And she goes, well, it wouldn't change anything if you did. That was almost, almost five years ago. And that has stuck with me because complaining really changes nothing. Yeah, it just creates negativity around uh, to those around you and in your own environment, and there's just no point. And that's a lesson for me because I can complain with the best of them. Ah, uh, you're a complainer, eh? <sighs> I don't know if I'm a complainer. I just uh, see idiots, and I want idiots to <laughs> fix being an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Well, common sense is not. I'm just common, kidding. <laughs> that is true. But we won't get into tangents, as we already have. Today we're talking about, hold on, before we do that, first off, I wanted to thank everyone for listening. I have been following our analytics here lately and um, have noticed a pretty big spike in our in our followers since I think it was uh, late August, early September. We have almost 3x the number of followers that we had, and it's not four like we joke about. It's actually, I think, 118 the last time I checked. And we're close to 7,000 total downloads, um, which, you know, it's uh, not a humongous number. Could be better. Could be better. Yeah, come on, people. But hey, seriously, thank you for listening. And if um, if you've been listening for a long time, thank you so much. You know, Christian and I both get uh, DMs that we share on our Instagram. Well, at least I share people thanking us for our podcast. And that really means a lot. So we really do thank you for listening. And if we provide any value, I would just ask that you would maybe share the podcast with your friends, tell them about it, or share it on social media. That would definitely help us out a lot uh, to continue to get the word out. So without further ado, today today's episode is going to be on some strategy. We've had um, one or two people, not many, uh, ask maybe, maybe more, Christian might know the number, uh, ask us to kind of start talking about strategy of a lot of the things that we talk about instead of just kind of an overview. So we're going to get into some nitty gritty today. So if you've been looking to really learn how we do what we do and other people like us, then I think this is going to be a good one for you. So today we're going to talk about creative financing. This is really Christian's bread and butter. So this will be a lot of of him talking because he's made multiple millions with this strategy. I love creative financing because like I talked in on the last episode, you know, I thought to be a creative, or not last episode, actually, this is on TikTok, I shared that uh, I thought being a creative only meant you could only be in the arts, but that's not true. Creative financing is really heavy on creativity and using your brain to make deals work and uh, 
get stuff locked down. So that's what we're talking about today. So Christian, I'm going to kick it to you, and then uh, we'll just kind of go back and forth. I did write down a couple, couple examples, at least on, on my end, to really break down the numbers for people. If you like the numbers, then I've got some for you. Uh, but yeah, Christian, what are we talking about? Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about a few different strategies uh, within creative finance. So the first one will be seller financing, okay? And the first thing I want to preface this conversation with is that everything in real estate is negotiable. In seller financing, the seller plays the bank. The terms are negotiable. Uh, it works on $200,000 properties all the way up to multi-million dollar properties. It, it doesn't matter. And, and first of all, I'll get more into detail about what seller financing is. It's exactly how it sounds. The, the seller takes on a mortgage and lends to you directly. They finance you to buy the house, the commercial property, whatever it is. And uh, they are protected through a mortgage lien. And typically this only works when the property is free and clear. If there is there is a way to buy with uh, liens already in place, but we'll get into that a little bit later on. So why would a seller agree to this? So a lot of times when, when investors are buying as is properties, you know, they may present a 70, 75% uh, cash offer as is. But if you take that on with a seller financing strategy, you may be able to offer them a little more and it may be able to, you know, seal the deal if you're able to give them 80, 85% with the owner finance offer. And that just may be more lucrative for the, the seller. You can offer a lot of times you can offer zero down, 5% down, 10% down. Like I said, in the beginning, it's all negotiable. So as far as terms go, and I'll get into an example here in a second, but terms may be from 20 to 25 year am for commercial all the way up to 30 year for a single family, uh, even 30 year on commercial. Like I said, it's just based on what you and the seller agree to. And lastly, one of the biggest things that sellers choose this option is because they they don't want to cut off their cash flow, right? So if they sell the property, uh, their cash flow disappears. Yeah, they have a, a large lump sum of money, but it's not working for them anymore. So they need to put it to work. So they may still want the cash flow. They just don't want to manage the, the real estate. Uh, and then taxes, the capital gains can be spread out. Very nice. I'm going to give you guys a couple more tips before I get into an example that I've done. So when submitting an offer, one of the things I like to do is include seller financing in the LOI or the letter of intent. And so you may have like a, a cash option for option one, maybe a little bit less a conventional financing offer uh, for a little more. And then, you know, maybe you have that owner finance option a little bit close to their asking price, so long as it makes sense to you and your criteria. Some sellers may have never seen seller financing, so they're going to ask you, like, what is the seller financing option? Because it's the one with the most money. And that's when you can say, well, it's an option that can still provide you with monthly cash flow and you don't have to manage the real estate anymore. Um, and then you can pull up a 10 BII calculator, which basically calculates principal and interest uh, based on terms. And you can pull up the amortization schedule and show them the amount of interest they would make on top of their purchase price. Uh, so when you get to, the, you know, you start 
negotiating with the seller, they choose the seller financing option. The next thing you need to do is obviously go through title company, hire an attorney, uh, you know, get a title policy under your name, LLC, make sure, making sure that the note and deed of trust uh, are recorded and filed. And then the title company is going to do a UCC search for any underlying liens. If there are liens, they would have told you, they should have told you beforehand. Um, you don't want to find out at the title company that there are liens because the seller is going to be responsible for paying those liens. Now, if it's a mortgage, um, this is where things start to get a little bit more creative and you can do what's called a wrap. But before I get to the wrap, because I've done both seller financing and the wrap. And we're not talking about 50 cent. We're talking about <laughs> W-R-A-P. <laughs> yes. Let, let me be clear. It's a, it's a W-R-A-P. And I did this. At my, my, dad first... jokes are, oh, my dad jokes are fire, bro. Yeah, probably four out of 10. Okay, they're not. Yeah, that was probably three. That's fine. That's fine. But, but uh, <laughs> I did a wrap on my first two um, commercial properties. And the way I did this was the uh, seller had a underlying mortgage lien of $150,000. And when on I your first, first one, right? Yeah, yeah. And when I first um, was talking to the seller about the property, I was thinking that I was going to have to bring $150,000 down. And at the time I didn't have the money. So I was obviously, I was going to have to raise it or something. And then of course, that's when he hit me with the zero down. And that was due to him not wanting to pay taxes or he had, he had some tax stuff that he wanted to, to settle. And that was his, his, uh, whole thing. So when I first even was talking to him, I was really focused on providing a solution for him. So it was not about me in the beginning. I was building a relationship with him in the first few months and trying to find a solution that fit his, what he wanted. And that took a few months before we even came to an agreement on the price. And another thing, so when we were talking about the actual number, I let him give me a number first because I had an offer <laughs> number and his was lower than mine. Smart man. Whenever they give you the number first, you know, there was no fighting on my side. So like, he was like, yes, I'm getting my price. This is what I wanted. You know, it was, that's what it was all about. Yeah. You made him think he won, right. which he did because he got what he wanted. But then you also won because you got it for less than what you wanted. But I want yeah. to touch on something real quick that you, that you talked about that you, people might have missed. This was real important to you getting those two commercial deals is you built a relationship with both of these sellers. Right now, we're specifically talking about the first one. But if I remember correctly, from the time that you first made contact with this first seller, it took, what, four, five, six months before you got it under contract? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, <clears throat> I think, four or five months before we, I got it under contract. Yeah, so this is where a lot of people, not even in real estate, just in business sales, they, I think they get, um, they can get lost because they just want to get a deal done. And if it doesn't happen right away, then they just move on. Imagine if you would have moved on and you didn't pursue a relationship with this guy and try to provide a solution. You would have literally let go of 1.8, $1.9 million in net worth. Yeah. So well, I think it's important for people to, to realize that Really anything in life right now, obviously we're talking about real estate and business. It, it should be about a relationship and not just getting, you know, just in it so you can win. You, the, the important thing is to make sure both people win and to develop a relationship because everything, and I'm not talking about karma, but everything 
I think can come back to you. And it's kind of like the movie Pay It Forward, you know, like it's just all about, well, the golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. So, you know, Christian built a relationship with this guy uh, and let him win. And then Christian won big. So that's all I wanted to say. And actually funny that, you know, you mentioned that I had a, a, a good friend who's also a self-storage investor. He sent uh, a direct marketing letter to this guy and I don't know what exactly it was. Maybe it was, it was his approach or his letter or something, but early on in their building the relationship piece, um, he told him to get lost. And uh, <laughs> it was, it was pretty funny because when I was talking to him about the, the deal that I just, you know, closed on, he's like, Hey, is that this deal that's over here? And I was like, yeah, how do you know about it? He's like, well, you know, I sent, I sent the letter to him and we we're talking for a little bit and I don't know if it was my, direct approach or what but he told me to get lost and using other words obviously but uh <laughs> i you know it was just kind of a, a, a laughable thing between us he's a pretty successful guy so he's he's not worried about it um he's a pretty supportive dude so well that's that's cool on his part that he didn't uh you know kind of take offense so anyway let's, uh, let's keep moving forward yeah so uh yeah the key is just to really build that relationship and and uh, figure out the solution for the seller I think especially when you're dealing with mom and pop type operators um, and older sellers, they they're not they don't care about being fast and how fast you are. Uh, so you can't really take the single family approach in in commercial real estate. So yeah, for sure. So going back to how I uh, close this one, he asked for zero down, and then closing costs were around three thousand dollars. Um, and because we had that existing lien, he had that existing first lien with a bank. And he and the reason we I was able to do this as well was because he had a 20 plus year relationship with the uh, the president of the bank, because typically a lot of lending documents uh, have provisions in them and stuff about wrapping the loan and doing stuff like that. So you need to first check with the lender and see if that's even a possibility. It, it may just not. It may not be a possibility. So we got permission from the bank to wrap the loan. So that $150,000 became, it was still in first lien, but his lien to me was like a brand new loan and the brand new loan wrapped over. So it was 750 purchase price over the 150 existing. So when I paid him the mortgage on 750,000, it was like, I think almost $5,000. I would send it to him and he would pay his $2,000 mortgage and the deed went over to me and he had no, no responsibility over the new property. I was putting money into it, you know, getting it up and running correctly. And he was just making his 6% interest rate. Now at the time, interest rates were in the, were in the 4% range. And, uh, you know, you may be oh, like, to be in those again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it'll come back down, but, uh, yeah, I know. It, it all makes, you know, it worked for me, the 6%, because one, I, I paid zero down. And two, I didn't have to deal with all the red tape that a bank makes you go through. The seller financing aspect, like I mentioned uh, first, would be if there was no liens, no mortgage liens on the property. And then it turned into a wrap for me because he still had that underlying loan. So it just the wraparound mortgage just allows the seller to maintain their existing mortgage. And that's where the wrap amount comes from. 
And then whenever we refinanced the property last uh, earlier this year, essentially I paid him, I don't know, 740,000 or whatever it was. And then from that, the 120,000 remaining from his first lien got paid off and he netted the 600 something grand. Make sense? Yes, sir. All right. This whole entire process, I had an attorney help me through the whole process. You know, I used a uh, commercial TAR uh, contract, got an owner financing uh, addendum in there, spelled out the terms. And initially I wasn't supposed to pay him off for uh, three or four years, but uh, earlier this year I had asked him about it and he gave me, he's like, yeah, go ahead. And so that's whenever I paid him off. I locked in 5.4% interest at like a 10 year fixed rate because with commercial real estate, you may be amortized at 25, 20 and 25 years, but they often put a five year balloon, uh, three to five to 10 year balloon, sometimes 15 year. That'll just vary on the bank you use and their appetite for risk at the time. Yeah, my bank is uh, not really uh, having an appetite for risk. So I have a three year balloon on mine, which means I will be refinancing as soon as I get that mug expanded and stabilized. Yeah, I mean, you really just have to weigh out your options and, and see what what uh, second uh, options you have once you know you get into it. And then to get out of it, you got to have those options too. But um, so, yeah, so go ahead. I was just going to say, so that's a, a really good piece on seller financing. And uh, those deals are out there. You know, they are, um, I would say, few and far between. But if you're willing to put in the work and do like Christian did, then those killer deals are out there. You don't have to use a bank. You don't have to do any of these other crazy things to get these things financed. And you can win just like Christian for the people who say, oh, I can't do it. They're not out there. Well, clearly they're out there because Christian's a multimillionaire because he put in the work. Yeah. And the cool thing about seller financing is like if you let's just say you don't have a track record, maybe your credit is not the greatest. You don't have a 700 credit plus score, then you can use this strategy to get into an investment property. Uh, and you basically, you know, you, you take the bank out and you take their underwriting out. Now I would just caution you, make sure you underwrite whatever project you're looking at pretty conservatively. Uh, because what you don't want is to get into a property seller financing, and then you go to refinance later and you can't refinance because you don't have enough equity. So that's the only thing I'd, I'd caution about. Cool. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's go to the second type that we're going to talk about today, which is sub two for you cool cats listening, also known as subject two. Yeah. Uh, again, Christian, I'm going to kick it back to you and we'll, uh, and we'll kind of go back and forth on this one. Yeah. So the, the first strategy I talked about, uh, seller financing and, and of course that kind of transition in, into the rep because of the liens that were in place. Uh, now we're going to talk about subject two, which is exactly what it means. It's subject to the existing loan. So the seller's existing mortgage remains in place after the property is sold to you. And you as a new buyer continue making payments on the remaining life of the loan. Now for subject two, the mortgage and the title are two separate things. So that's why it can still remain in place while the ownership goes to the new buyer. A reason for a subject two may be the seller is has a uh, tax liens or you know they're they're behind on payments. Uh, this is an an opportunity for you to come in 
and relieve them of being behind on payments and whatnot. It's also a, a pro for you because it's a quick process with you know few upfront costs. And you may be even locking in potentially lower interest rates. So a lot of the you know, sellers that got 2 and 3% mortgage rates, they're locked in for 30 years, but they may be behind on payments or, like I said, to the tax lien. Then you can come and you take, you take that 2 3% uh, mortgage rate and you make the payments. This uh, strategy does carry its own risks. Uh, one, as the buyer or, or the person using this strategy, you really need to make sure that you have the ability to, let's just say you, you, you buy it, right? You know, the mortgage is still in the previous owner's name. So if you don't pay that, you're, you're going to mess up their credit. You know, it's going to go into to a credit default. As a responsible investor, it's your job to ensure that you can make that payment. Yep, and have cash reserves should something happen, you know, to maybe your income to where you weren't able to pay like you could. So you say, I don't know, you, whatever scenario happens, I think you should have at least probably a year in reserves to make payments, you know, assuming that you lose some of your income so you don't screw someone else over. Right. You, you need to make sure you can do everything in your power to not mess up their credit because it was you in the first place that promised them X, Y, Z. So, um, and then, uh, so I'll give you a quick example. Uh, Joe Schmo is behind on his $150,000 mortgage and he's uh, facing- Poor Joe. Yeah, poor Joe Joe. He's facing the possibility of foreclosure you know, we determined that the ARV, which is the after repair value, is $175,000 as is. Okay, so Joe Schmo agrees to sell the property to the subject to investor taking on the existing mortgage payment. All right. Uh, at the closing, you can also add this to get, you know, people uh, ahead, if you will, is offer like $20,000 as, as a fee to them you know, that's your, that's your fee to take over the property. And that that's negotiable too. I've seen 10,000, 15, whatever. Uh, and then you take over the uh, existing mortgage. Joe Schmo is happy because he's not going to have to have that, his credit destroyed. Uh, and he's, you know, someone is still paying the monthly payments on his uh, credit in the hope that it, you know, it'll start building his credit or whatever. And then as an exit strategy for that subject to buyer, they can go and rent the house. They can go and going back to the wrap, sell it at a higher interest rate. And then it's a form of arbitrage, right? So you have a 2% interest rate and then you sell it to somebody else. You're in the middle. You sell it to somebody else. At, let's just say at a six or 7% interest rate. Now the Delta is what? 6% or no, 5%. And they may provide you a 10 or 20% down payment of the new purchase price. So, oh, so, so I don't confuse anybody. You sell that, <laughs> let's just say, you know, you had, you were all in at 175,000, you go and sell the house for 250,000. They give you a 10% down payment. So you get $25,000 cash. And then you get the Delta of that 2% interest rate and the 7% interest rate. And then let's just say it's a five year balloon. So when they go to refinance, you get the, the delta between the 250000 and the loan pay down of wherever that may be. And then you, you get those five years of interest. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. So if they're buying it for two fifty, and, and that's the new the new buyer. Yeah, the new buyer. Sorry, the new buyer is buying it for two fifty. They put ten percent down, twenty five thousand. So their their loan is two twenty five. Your loan with the original seller is one seventy five. After five years, you know, depending on the rate, I mean, that's a pretty decent pay down. So the uh, the spread there, you're going to make obviously the cash flow, which you know seven percent compared to two percent. I mean, you're going to be making some big bucks plus monthly. Bucks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, for instance, our, our house, I'll give you all a prime example. We were going to sell it via seller financing because it was just not selling on the market. And uh, we had agreed to a certain number and interest rate. I had to bring the rate down a little bit lower to make it work for them monthly. Our rate is 2.75%. Their rate, now they got a really good deal. If you're listening, you're welcome. They got 4% to make it stay within their budget. Yeah, so their their payment, I won't say what their payment is. But we're cash flowing a little over $700 a month because of what I bought the house for, what my interest rate is versus what they're now buying it for and their interest rate. So right. I'm going to make that for at least two years because they're going to refinance within two years. Now we're doing, sorry, we're not sell, actually selling it via seller financing. I meant to say that. We're doing a rent to own, but the way that we worked it out with my attorney is it's essentially the same thing as seller financing, except for we're not risking the due on sale clause which I think we have that's not because, talked about yet. That's but, because the mortgage is still in your name. Right. So that's the so, biggest difference. Uh, so because with seller financing uh, or a wrap, the mortgages, uh, the deed of trust gets passed down. It gets passed over to the new guy. Yeah. So they, the house is still in our name. The the new buyer, technically the buyer, they're, I mean, technically they're renting, but they are the buyer. The deed is not in their name. We have a whole you know situation worked out for them to buy it. But just to give an example of the kind of cash flow that you can make on these spreads, plus you got the you got so you got three three forms of payment on these. You got the down payment that you get from the the new buyer, then you get the monthly cash flow. It's you know seven hundred times. Uh, let's just do some math. Seven hundred times twenty four months is seventeen thousand dollars. So let's just say I was in the scenario. I get twenty five thousand, then I get seventeen thousand over two years if they refinance in two years. And then I get the spread of the 225 minus the 175. So that's another 50. So in these seller financing sub two uh, situations, you typically can make a pretty decent chunk of change more than you would just selling it outright. Right. It's just the benefit of, you know, does it make sense to get the cash now or or hold on to it for whatever reasons, you know, cash flow, you know, not having to manage the yep. property because they become the owner. Um, now there are risks with this strategy. You know, one of them being what's called a due on sell clause. So a lot of lenders have this in their contracts spelled out loud and clear that, you know, transferring the, the mortgage or the, the deed to somebody else can trigger the due on sell clause, making basically saying that now you're responsible for paying off the entire remaining uh, loan because of this of this uh, event. And uh, now it, uh, all I'm going to say is that a lot of people say it doesn't happen very often at all, but then I've heard people it happened to. So that's it's just a risk, and and to mitigate that, it does take time. It they they, you know, there's no real real reason why a lender will or will not call the note due, but it's in your best interest to like like we said, always stay you know have enough capital to cover if you need to refinance out or whatever the case, uh, have enough capital to do so. Yeah, and from what I from what I've been told, 
And this is not financial advice at all that we're giving. We're just merely speculating, and this is all hypothetical. But from what I've been told from a certain person who has a law degree, that typically it takes about six months to be foreclosed on. So you definitely should have some cash in reserves, you know, just in case. But then you would have at least six months to refinance that thing out of the original seller's name. Uh, so that would be in your best interest. At least know that you have some time. One of the things that I might have hypothetically been told by someone who has a law degree, that the way to avoid the due on sale clause is when you technically sell that house to the new buyer to keep the insurance in your name, but then just add them as an additional insured. That way the mortgage company doesn't get notified of a change in insurance ownership. But again, all hypothetical, not financial advice. And I, you never heard it from me. Yeah, I mean, everything is going to come with a risk. You just have to determine how much risk you're willing to take for whatever strategy you're you're doing, okay? Which we're going to talk about in another podcast after reading that book. Yeah, yeah, we got a, a, a good podcast coming for you about analyzing risk and controlling it. Okay, so we talked about the subject two, and uh, now we're going to discuss loan assumption. Our third strategy... Uh, is called a loan assumption. So in commercial real estate, an assumable loan is a loan that can be taken over by a buyer whenever the owner of the property sells. So now there are a couple things that you need to know about the assumable loan. First of all, you as the buyer of the property still have to be underwritten. And that may be, you know, having a PFS sent a a personal financial statement sent to the lender to make sure that you can qualify as a new as a new borrower. You know what what this does for the uh, seller is they may be facing a prepayment penalty for selling. Let's just say a little early. So a lot of lenders have a three two one or, or five three two uh, one. Basically, if you sell the first year, you pay five percent or three percent interest of the loan amount. Um, so a, a buyer may be like, I'm sorry, a seller may be like, man, I don't want to pay that prepayment penalty, but inside the original loan documents, there's a assumption provision that allows me to, uh, have the mortgage to be assumed by a different borrower as long as they meet the lender's qualifications. So that's very important that it has that in the documents. Otherwise you're going to have to just sell the property. Again, you're going to have to be underwritten. For that specific property, they may ask you for your tax returns, uh, for your business, and for you. They're also going to look at the debt service coverage ratio to verify uh, that your cash flow exceeds the debt by you know 1.25x, which is a pretty common standard for uh, lenders. Uh, and they may order an appraisal uh, for their informational purposes. But but yeah, so those are the three different creative financing strategies you can implement here in 2023. I'm seeing a lot before in 2021. Uh, I didn't see anything from brokers mentioning seller financing. And a lot of times sellers weren't doing seller financing because they're getting these ridiculously high crazy offers. Yeah. Super compressed cap rates and all this stuff. Now, you know, with rates where they're at and cap rates kind of decompressing, uh, well, for one, sellers still think they're getting 2021 prices. That's the first problem. Um, yeah, time to wake up. 
and interest rates are where they're at. So there's like a standstill and, and there's, this is happening in multifamily, uh, commercial, um, self storage, whatever. But now I'm starting to see a lot of seller financing strategies come to light, even being sent by brokers. Um, and we weren't seeing that in 2021. So I think, you know, in this 2023 year, whenever maturity loan dates are coming due, either they sell it, uh, you know, have someone else assume the loan or if it's free and clear or whatever, uh, seller financing. I mean, that's going to be a, a good strategy for this coming year. Yeah. Every time I get a deal for or on self storage uh, that looks like it might make sense, most of them still don't. I ask if seller financing is an option. And uh, the two or three times I've asked it here in the last probably month, the broker has always e emailed back uh, basically that the seller would entertain it as long as it made sense. Now, when you were asking that earlier this year and last year, it was always no, like right. just straight up no. So now, yeah, people, people, sellers especially need to need are becoming more aware that, hey, I might have to entertain this to get this thing sold if they want to sell it. Right. Um, I know we talked to how. Go ahead. You're about to say something. I was just going to say, and like I mentioned earlier, uh, these sellers are getting closer to their asking price, possibly with the seller financing uh, in place versus a conventional or a cash offer. So that's why they're starting to kind of open their eyes and be like, yeah, I'll take that. Right. Because at the current prices, you know, or current interest rates, it, a lot of these deals just are not making sense uh, to the bank. They might make sense for the buyer because you cannot you see how you might be able to add value and get your money back fast but the bank doesn't see it initially a lot of these banks which is crazy still don't understand how you can double the price of a property or double the value of a property you know in less than a year like both you and i uh have dealt with um but i know we, i know we said we're gonna talk about three things but i wanted to um give two examples of how you can get creative with financing and, and, and buying deals kind of like I have. And I've briefly touched on these in various episodes, but I'm going to kind of break these down so you can see one of my favorite things is called OPM, which we've talked about other people's money. Uh, I really got into this strategy by reading Brandon Turner's book called the book on investing in real estate with no or low money down. And Christian and I have both done this for the whole, pretty much the whole time we've been in real estate. Only one time have I actually used my own money to purchase a property. And then I realized actually it wasn't my own money. It was an EIDL loan from the SBA. So, <laughs> uh, but this one, I got two scenarios here. One is commercial and the other is a residential property that I bought. If you like math and numbers, I think you'll like what I put together. So my, I sold one of my storage facilities, my first one, the second one that I bought in February, the, uh, I'm going to break it down for you and how I got this finance. So the purchase price was 545000 The bank wanted 20% down, which was $109,000. Um, at the time, I'll just be frank, I, I had the money, but I didn't really want to drop $110,000 on a property. So I kind of, in my mind, figured out what I could stomach and what I was willing to borrow. So I borrowed $50,000 from a friend at 12% interest. Uh, interest only, amateurized over 30 years with the balloon due in two years. Typically, I make balloons due in one year. I was looking at the paperwork on this one a couple weeks ago and then somehow it was two. So, which is great because that's coming due soon. And I am not at the point where I'm able to refinance him out yet because I'm expanding and longer story there. So anyway, the monthly payment is only 500 bucks on this interest, this interest payment. So uh, anyway, so purchase price 545. So my total down with closing costs and bank fees, which is, you know, appraisal, 
title fees, blah, 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 was $115,289.30. So minus the 50 grand, I had to bring $65,289.30. So uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't buy the whole property without any money out of pocket, but I was able to forego having to give up an additional 50,000 to buy this property, which really helped me out because uh, we had kind of stopped flipping at the beginning of this year. I mean, I sold some properties, so I, I was able to, to stay afloat, but um, it was just a good scenario to borrow the 50 grand. So, you know, I have now that property is worth low to mid eights. Once I get done expanding, it should be worth 2.2 to 2.3 million. And again, I'm, and I, the construction loan that I'm doing, I didn't have to bring any money. So I'm going to be in a property for, you know, my out of cost expenses on expanding it or, or the, uh, the stuff that I did cameras and stuff like that. I'll probably be in it for like maybe 80, 85,000 and my net on it will be, you know, what is that? My loan will be about 900,000. So 1.4 million for 80,000 out of pocket. Not too bad. So, uh, second scenario is a property I bought. Uh, this is last year in Euless. This is a residential property that I bought from a wholesaler that I know personally. Purchase price was 160000 Now, typically when I, when Christian and I first got started, we would use hard money lenders, which are lenders who do very short-term loans at ridiculously high interest rates. We're talking like 9 to 12, 14%. Um, but then I developed a relationship with the bank through a connection I had made actually at my brokerage. And then Christian later developed a relationship with this bank as well. This is one thing I would harp on right now is uh, you can start with hard money loans, which is what a lot of people do. You can start out with hard money lenders, but I would highly recommend once you get some experience under your belt, going to a local bank because the rates that we were getting were 5 to 6% versus 12%. So the bank will finance uh, 80% of the ARV minus 10% down. So the ARV, like Christian said earlier, was after repair value. So this house, the ARV was 225. So they would finance 80% of that, which is 180,000 minus my $40,000 rehab budget, which is 140,000. So uh, my 10% plus closing costs and a little extra that I paid on the seller's taxes to get the deal done came out to $26,354.84. I borrowed 25,000 from uh, an old Marine Corps boss uh, at 10% interest flat fee. So just 10% on his money. So I gave him 2,500 bucks and I had a one-year balloon. Um, so I only brought $1,354.84 to closing. I later refinanced the property to make an Airbnb and then the prices in that area for those homes started going up. So I saw an opportunity to sell when people were paying crazy amounts and made a profit of 62,000 and change because the refi cost me about eight grand. I was out of pocket, 1300 for closing, plus probably about five grand to furnish this Airbnb. So I was out of pocket, what? I think that's a uh, 6,000 and change. Now I did, I did the ROI on this. I, I did the ROI wrong. I did it on 1300 versus the $62,000 profit. So this number is gonna change a little bit, but my ROI, if it was only $1,300 out of pocket to make 62 grand in the five months that I held it was 4,479%. Uh, which is not too bad, all using other people's money. So we could do the ROI with Christian's properties, with a lot of other stuff that we've done. These are just two deals. But getting creative in buying in buying your properties or even financing them, it's just 
I think an exponential way to, you know, kind of jettison yourself into some big money and big net worth. Yeah. And you can also um, do a combination of things. So like you can use bank financing uh, on top of seller financing, as long as the bank, you know, still meets their 1.25 X lending requirement or whatever. And then there's even what's called a seller carryback strategy. And I won't get into too much of that today because that's more uh, on the syndication side uh, of things is whenever, you know, you pay a, if a, seri- if a seller carries back a million dollars on a property that you're buying, uh, once you form the new LLC, then they get a certain percent interest on that, on that um, uh, preferred equity. And, uh, and then they get a, a buyout at, at the end of the three to five year hold. So there's tons of different strategies uh, you can, you know, really dig into uh, as you start kind of getting to bigger, bigger properties, you kind of start getting a little more creative to help you, uh, you, you know, tackle some of these properties. So that's great. Uh, so, you know, just putting it out there that it doesn't have to be just a typical, the typical standard way of purchasing a property, you know, like there are so many ways that you can buy real estate and get into real estate with no money down. Um, even Airbnb arbitrage, you know, that's another thing that we could probably spend a lot of time talking about. We won't, you can go check out Airbnb automated on YouTube. He's a guy who has gazillions of properties all by leasing out apartments. And so he has, now he doesn't technically own anything, so we won't go into that, but there's just a lot of ways to get creative. Like we've covered, that was just four scenarios of how you can purchase property and kind of get into the game and to make it work. So, uh, I hope that helps. I wanted to, this is, Christian, I wasn't tell you, I didn't tell you I was going to do this. Um, but so this episode today is November 30th. I'm going to post this on December 6th. So you're, I'm talking to you into the future. So what I want to do, so this, you're listening to this on December 6th or whenever after, I think on December, let's just say 9th, I'll put this on my calendar. I'm going to post on my Instagram, uh, a little box so you can ask questions I'd like to do an episode where hopefully we get enough questions to where we can do kind of like a Q&A. So if you're listening to this, hopefully between the December 6th to December 9th, somewhere, let's just say uh, December 9th, noon Eastern, I'm going to post on my Instagram stories, a little box where you can ask questions, and then we can record an episode, hopefully answering some of these questions, since this is obviously a one-way talk and you can't ask us questions live. So uh, my Instagram handle is the Vince Russell. Christian's got like 40 of them. So you want to give out one or you just want to let it go to me? <laughs> um, let me find it because uh, uh, it is Christian underscore M-E-R-C-1. Okay. Christian underscore M-E-R-C-1. And mine is the Vince Russell, R-U-S-S-E-L-L. Find us on Instagram. Uh, Christian, if you want to do it at the same time since you have a different audience than I do, December 9th, 12 Eastern, which is 11 Central, we're going to post on our Instagram stories where you can ask us questions. We'll save those, and then we'll do a podcast here in the next couple weeks answering some of your questions. So if that's it, thank you guys for listening. Hopefully this uh, gave you some strategy to uh, get started in 2023 and kick some butt and uh, take ownership of your legacy and your future and to really get out there and create the life that you want, uh, which a lot of us, we're in this for time freedom. 
Christian has a little girl. I have two kids. What we've been able to do affords us a lot of time with our family. And so hopefully this, this helps you. Christian, anything else for the, for our fellow listeners? You know, just take charge of your life. You're one decision away from changing it. Start just learning about everything you can and whatever niche you're trying to get into uh, because competence leads to confidence. So, Ooh, mic drop. See you guys. <laughs> Later. This episode of the Middle Class to Millionaires podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more tips and strategies on entrepreneurship, life, and business to help you create the life you've always dreamed of. Don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content on planet Earth.